0: Welcome to SEG Easter 2020. Uh, thanks for joining us. I got to be honest, I thought things were going to be a little bit different this year. Um, as we were planning Easter, I anticipated more people being in the seats than there turned out to be. We had a couple empty seats this year, but that's okay. Uh, we're, we're glad that you joined us anyway. Now, one of the things that we do every Easter, and not just us, but the church has been doing for a long time, is at the beginning of the sermon, we say, He has risen. And you respond with, he has risen indeed. So let's try that. He has risen. Good. Good job. Some of you guys are holding back a little bit there. Okay. So if you were just afraid to yell out in your living room, he has risen indeed. You can at least type it. So put it in the comment section. Uh, We would love to hear from you. So not only has church been different, but pretty much every arena of life has been different for us. His um, ministry is different. The way that we do ministry, everything has gone from being on campus to online. Uh, the way that I do my job is pretty different Is I have become proficient in Zoom meetings. And maybe you can relate. My schedule is different. Um, my, uh, but here's probably the biggest difference is my home life. And I would say it's not as big of a difference for me, but it is for my wife. Because every single day, my kids are at home. And they never go away. They're there constantly. And so uh, I have a couple of pictures to show you how things have been going at our house recently. Now, this is a picture of my son. And he decided that um, when I wasn't looking, he was going to help me paint. And so he decided to paint the door and the floor and, and uh, oh yeah, and my wife's iPhone. And so I think he did a pretty good job. He definitely got, uh, got a lot of coating there. And then he also decided to help clean the bathroom. And so what he did was he collected everything in the bathroom and he threw it in the toilet. And so that's kind of how things have been going at my house with the kids being home all the time. And I know that I'm not the only one because we did this challenge recently on Instagram. And we asked some parents who have kids at home, we said, tell us what your kids are up to, but instead of saying your kids, describe them as your coworkers. And so here's some of the responses that we got. My coworker asked me to make eggs and ham. Then pretended to be a puppy as she ate them. My coworker pooped in the potty for the first time. My coworker yelled from the bathroom, I'm done. My coworkers were being so annoying, I put in for a transfer within the company, so my boss sent me to my room. My coworker wrote on his arm, the wall, the couch, and his feet, so I spoke to HR, my husband, and they're going to have to have a talk about it. So it sounds like things are going about as well at your house as they have been going at mine. So I I, I would imagine that no matter who you are and what life stage you're in or or where you're viewing from, that your life has changed to some degree or another. And as I listen to news reports and I listen to people talk, I keep hearing this word, unprecedented, that we're living in this unprecedented time, which we've never seen before. And so it got me thinking, what do you exactly mean unprecedented? Because I, I know that to be true. But what is so different about the time that we're living in? Well, it's not just because there's a lot of change in life, because life is full of change. It's something that we just have to get used to. What's unique about the time that we're living in is that everyone is experiencing change at the same time for the same reason. It seems as if everything has changed in just this last season of life. And so I began to do some research. I wanted to know, well, what other big events has there been or, or, or ideas or discoveries that have been world-changing. And so I started to do some research online and I found different lists. And so some of them had lists of events like World War II and the founding of the United States and the Enlightenment. Some of them had inventions and discoveries like electricity and modern medicine and the internet. And and others were ideas like the theory of relativity, evolution, communism, democracy. And and the list could go on and on about the different, different things that has had a big impact on the world. But I really wanted to answer one question. What thing has had the biggest impact on the world? And not just impact, but the most positive impact on the world. And this may not come as a surprise. You may kind of know where I'm heading with this. But I would argue that the biggest thing that has ever happened to the world, the thing that has had the biggest impact on the world, is not an event or an idea or a discovery. It's a person. The life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus has been the most impactful thing to ever happen in human history. It's had a lasting impact. Here we are 2,000 years later and we're still talking about Jesus. In fact, more people are talking about him today than ever have before this. There's also been a global impact. That his message has literally gone to every corner of the world. See, a lot of impactful events, they're impactful for where they happen. They're kind of regionally located impact there's very few events that have a global impact, but Jesus, he's broken down all barriers, language and location, ethnicity, it doesn't matter. Jesus' message has spread to every corner of the earth. Also, it's had a personal impact, is people, people's lives have been changed by his message and what he has come to, to say and what people have come to believe about him. It's brought incredible hope and joy into the world. And so I want to argue that Jesus has changed the world. I don't think this is is a, a difficult argument to make. I think a lot of people, whether you're a believer or not, you would agree that Jesus has changed the world. But maybe you haven't realized how he's changed the world. Everywhere that Jesus' message has gone, it's brought these set of values. I think one of the most important values that it's brought is human value. Is that if you went to the world before Jesus, you would see that it is a very different world. It's a world in which not all humans were seen as valuable or equal. Women were seen as second-class citizens. Children were seen as second-class citizens. And and if you had a child that you did not want, especially if it was a a girl or had some deformities, you could just get rid of that child. But then Jesus came along and he says, no, every person on this earth has been made in God's image. That makes them inherently valuable and, and worthy. And so not only is human worth and human value come along with Jesus' message. But other things like modern science, you might think that there's a conflict between science and religion, but if you actually just do a little research, you'll find out that modern science was founded on the Christian worldview. That the, the original founders of modern science were Christians themselves because they believed that there was a rational God who created a, rationally, a rational universe that they could rationally understand. And so there's no coincidence that modern science arose in the West and not in the East. Also the idea of marriage and family and monogamy that husbands can only have one wife and the wife that they do have is not their property, but that they are equal partners and that you are supposed to be married one man and one woman for a lifetime because you're committing before God. And then education is many of the universities that we, um, we would say, uh, are well-known like Harvard and Princeton and, and Yale, and there's a laundry list of others. They were all founded by Christians because they wanted to promote biblical literacy. And so Jesus has not only changed the world, but he's also changed your world. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not really sure if I even believe in any of this stuff. I'm definitely not sure about Jesus and resurrection and all that. But here's what you probably don't understand, because it's like a fish in water. You don't even understand you're surrounded by this water. This water is Jesus and you're swimming in it. So let me explain. Is the values that you hold most dear, whether you're a Christian or not, are Jesus values. Things like forgiveness. In the ancient world before Jesus, it, it reward, you would reward your friends and you would punish your enemies. But then Jesus comes along and he says, no, you forgive your enemies. I want you to forgive them like I've forgiven you. Or humility. Everybody's goal in life was to be seen as powerful and accomplished. And humility was associated with shame and failure. But then Jesus, the king of the universe, comes along and he does this thing. He, and, and we talked about this this last week is he washes his disciples' feet. And then you have compassion the poor and the weak and the vulnerable, they were, they were very much uh, around in the ancient world and people saw them and they said, you have a problem, but that is a you problem, not a me problem. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, I want you to love them. Like I've loved you. And then he tells the story of the good Samaritan. And he says, I want you to love everybody. Even the people that you don't get along with, you don't even like. And so Christians took this serious and they started to create these things called hospitals and charities. And if you look around the world, there's no coincidence that they all have Bible names. It's because it's Christians who took this command seriously. Even your very view of God, whether you're not even sure what God is like, I would bet that your view of God, and this is statistically true, that you believe in God and the conception that you have of God is because of Jesus. Let me explain. So I have this conversation on a pretty regular basis. And the conversation usually goes something like this. Tell me what you believe in. Do you believe that there is a God? And the large, large majority of people say, yeah, 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 there's a God out there. Okay, well, why don't you tell me about this God? Is there one God or is there lots of gods? One God. Okay, one God. Now, do you pray to this God? Yeah, I pray. And in this season, actually, prayer has gone through the roof, um, literally and figuratively. (laughs) You see what I did? Okay, anyway. Um, People say, yeah, I I pray. So there's some assumptions there. So you think that this God is personal? That he actually hears your prayers and he cares enough? And so do you think that this God like loves you and cares for you and wants to be involved in your life? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, tell me about an afterlife. Is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven and a hell? And most people like the idea of heaven. They don't really like the idea of hell except for Hitler. He can go there, but everybody else kind of, they're, they're okay. And so I usually at the end of it say, can I just point something out to you? is that all of the things that you believe, like these big foundational beliefs that you have about God and heaven and hell, the afterlife, even the things that you've built your life on, like forgiveness and compassion and humility, you know, all of those things are Jesus things, right? And the reason why those became, became the foundation for the West is not just because they were good ideas. Because if you travel around the world where Jesus' message hasn't really kind of infiltrated culture, you'll see that, They don't have the same sets of values and the same sets of beliefs that we do here in the West. And so Jesus really has come along and he has turned the world upside down. He has changed the world and he's changed your world. The one that you and I live in, because when he came to earth, he said, there is one God and this God loves you. In fact, this God loves you so much. He wants you to call him father. And he has sent me in order to reconcile your relationship with him. And yes, there is an afterlife. And so death is not the end. You can have hope that in fact, I am going to be the first fruits, the resurrection. I am going to prove to you that not only do I have the authority to come, but I can prove it through the resurrection. And so Jesus comes and he teaches us about who God is and how we can know him. And then he proves his authority by resurrecting from the dead. And so even if you're not a Christian and you're still trying to figure out this whole thing, I just want you to see that Jesus has already radically transformed your life. Not only has Jesus changed everything, but for many of us, he is changing everything. He changes the way that we live our life on a day-to-day basis. He changes pretty much everything that we view, everything that we think. He changes the way that we we think about our our bodies and money and relationships and our purpose. And, And as I think about my life and where it was heading before I really committed to giving my life over to Jesus, man, it was a mess. And if I continued down that path, it would have been a very, very rough road. And yet Jesus came along and he really changed things for me. And so not only has Jesus changed everything and is changing everything, but he can change everything for you as well. But here's the deal. If you want Jesus to change everything in your life, you have to first give him everything. Everything. That, that's what he requires. And he comes along and he says, I don't care what you've done. I want your best and your worst deeds. Give me the best things that you've ever done. All the good deeds. Yeah, I'll take those. Your self-righteousness and all, all your, your self-sufficiency. I want that. I want your worst deeds. The things that you want no one to know about. Your regret and your shame. All, I want it all. He says, yeah, I want you to just come with open hands and say, whatever you want, It's yours. And so Jesus, um, entering into a relationship with Jesus is kind of like entering into a marriage. And I mean it it, like this is, is when you enter into a marriage, you don't go into it halfway. It's like an all or nothing kind of thing. It's like you give everything or you give nothing. And here's why Jesus says this is because he knows what he's worth. He knows what he can do. He knows who he is. And he says, I want everything. If you want your life to change, then give your life over to me. That's kind of our vision as a church is we want to see Jesus change everything because he's changed the world. He's changing many of our lives and he can change your life too. So we as a church prayed right before kind of all this craziness happened. We spent 21 days in prayer and fasting. We had these bracelets that say Jesus changes everything 2020. And we were just asking God, will you do something significant in this church and in this community, in this world? Will you just turn things upside down? And here we are. And we don't know what exactly God's going to do through this. Maybe this is part of the reason is because you might not step into church, but you'll watch online. You can watch from your living room and maybe Jesus is trying to get a hold of you. So Jesus, if you allow him, he can change everything. And we see it all the time. In fact, I want to share with you a story that I heard just this week of how Jesus has changed someone's life in this church. Watch this.
1: So I was raised in a small town um, called Norwalk in California and my dad was a machinist. He was also a high functioning alcoholic and my mom um, was a sidekick. Both of my parents worked and I was left with a neighbor and for a year I was repeatedly abused by her three sons. My parents decided to move into um, a bigger home and it was at that time that I was pretty much relieved because I was moving out of an abuse situation. Home life during that junior high period was good for me at school. Um, I made a lot of new friends. There was a sense of freedom, but at home things were spiraling out of control. There was a lot of dysfunction going on. My parents were fighting more and my brother um, started drinking. We'd wake up to crazy parties at early, early morning hours. The music would be raging. We couldn't sleep. I moved out of the house when I started college and I really started to um, increase my drinking. I started to become even more promiscuous at that time. And during that time too, is um, which is really hard even now sometimes for me to think about it, and as I was pregnant three times in my junior and senior year of college, I decided to end each one of those pregnancies, which is still just a tragedy for me. After I graduated college, um, I got married. We were married for three years. We had a baby boy. Our marriage didn't last long though. After three years, we ended up getting a divorce. After um, my divorce, I moved out of our house and I moved into this little apartment complex and I met a neighbor and his name was Dennis. I met Dennis as he was taken out the trash. <laughs> Before you know it, um, he told me a little bit about himself. He wasn't a believer. I wasn't too concerned about that. Um, it's the fact that his personality seemed to like, take over that and even though I knew that was a red flag, he loved my son and my son loved him and to me that was the most important thing that I wanted at that time was to find a man that would look at my, my son as his own. And I overlooked the fact that Dennis wasn't a believer and we, um, we began dating over sushi. I started mentally struggling. About a year after Dennis and I had been dating, all of a sudden I just felt like things weren't right. I was feeling overwhelmed with anxiety and I ended up seeing a therapist and they recommended that I admit myself to a psychiatric hospital. So I went into a Christian psychiatric psychiatric hospital and I was there for three months and some significant breakthroughs happened then. Shortly after that, um, Dennis and I got married. Two years after Dennis and I got married, we had a son. It was just this beautiful time of life for me. I was overjoyed, but it didn't last long. Marriage is hard. With kids, there was more obligations, more things to do, and before too long, our marriage started to disconnect. Dennis never really told me, but I just knew that things weren't getting any better. They were getting, in fact, they were getting worse. After my son was born, I got a call from my dad at 5.30 in the morning. I already knew what the call was for, and it was my dad trying to keep it together, telling me that my brother um, was killed. And the overwhelming despair and pain I felt is something I've never felt like before. It debilitated me. My marriage began to suffer really hard after that because I was disconnecting from God and asking him all the questions to start with why. I couldn't understand why he would take him so soon, and I was angry, and and my pain just began to, to destroy me inside. Dennis and I just disconnected as each year went by. We ended up separating and I moved out. The next season of my life was a time of separation for Dennis and I it was 12 years. And I can describe it as a very dark season. During that time, things started to spiral out of control. I was doing okay financially, but my heart wasn't in the right place. I was doing rebellious things. I went back to drugs, alcohol, staying up all night, partying. I came back to my faith because everything was spiraling out of control. I was beginning to lose my business. I was beginning to lose financial success. I was beginning to lose everything. I was beginning to lose hope. During the time that Dennis and I were separated, we always remained really great friends. And so after this period of reconnecting with God, I felt a nudge in my heart to write him a letter. And so I wrote him a letter and explained everything that was on my heart. I remember when I called him and I said, did you get my letter? He said, yeah, I got it. I don't know, though. I don't know about this God thing, and I'm not so sure about the marriage, Kath. He said, call me in a week, <laughs> and I did. And we met in the middle, and we decided that I would move back home. It wasn't a fairy tale after I moved back home. In fact, we went back to the same state that I had left. It was a struggle. Dennis was disconnected. I was reconnected to God, but but my husband was pretty much emotionally checked out and he still insisted that he didn't want God, he didn't want church, that that was my thing. I knew that there was nothing that really I could do to make this any better. Things got really bad. A friend popped into my life in 2016 and asked me if I was interested in going to celebrate recovery. I said, I don't, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't need a 12-step program. She was just go with me. And so I agreed. I was so desperate, I said yes. I remember the first day in October 2016, I came into Celebrate Recovery Warehouse, and I was like, what are all these people doing here? They look normal. I think I was expecting something else because it was a 12-step program, but it was the worship. God's Spirit was in that warehouse. I'll never forget that day. I felt too vulnerable to come up to the very front and sit, and so I sat in the back and just talked to God and just felt him tell me he loved me. His spirit was just like so overwhelming that I just sat in the back and I sobbed. Dennis didn't want to have anything to do with what I was what I was doing. He still just wanted to hope that things would get better. But he was becoming more and more distant and I was wondering what was going on. I got more and more plugged into CR as I kept going back every Friday. They were offering step study. I decided to hop on. In February 2017, I started my first step study, and immediately God started started moving even more radically on my heart. I mean, coming in those first three months in October was kind of like, he was nurturing me, wooing me, but getting me into step study, it was like powerful. I was just getting my hope back, my joy back. I was starting to serve. I was starting to want to serve. I didn't even know what serving was. And I was wanting to give to others. and. I'm not that, I was never that kind of a person. And so I began serving wherever I could. It just helped me recover. It helped me connect to God. It helped me build a relationship so solid with Him that the pain I was going through, it was significant and it was terrible, but I still had that joy of God. I came home from step study a Tuesday night and found out that my husband was seeing another woman on Tuesdays and Fridays while I was at church. All the emotions I had back then just resurfaced. The anger, the despair, the loneliness, the insecurity, all of them just revisited me. Here's a great thing that I decided to do that was so different than any other way that I had chosen to behave in a situation that caused so much distress and loneliness is I didn't go back to those destructive self behaviors that I had done before. One of the most significant points in this in my story is I was talking to one of my leaders at CR and I told her the story and she said don't give up don't give up yet and so it was at that time that I I took it and I began to just pray to God and basically my prayers were being answered in my heart He, he was speaking to my heart and telling me move out of your move out of my way just keep praying with all your heart with all your soul for Dennis's salvation and for my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven for your marriage. And so I did that. May 2018 was a glorious day. I was in the kitchen and I was uh, talking to my mom about what we were gonna do for Mother's Day and Dennis had the day off work and he overheard me making plans and they did not include him. After I got off the phone, he came up to me and he said, I wanna talk to you. And he was crying. He said, Kath, will you give me a second chance? I love you, and I can't imagine my life without you. I was so floored and so blown away that I didn't even know how to respond to that. And so I I just said, "I I need time to pray. And I asked God, what is it you want me to do? And God spoke to my heart, and it was so clear that I had to just really lean in. And I remember telling him, Lord, my marriage is dead. I have a dead marriage. And he said, Your marriage is dead, I know that, but I will resurrect it and rebuild it my way. And I couldn't help but think at that time of Christ's resurrection on the third day and how all these pieces were starting to fit in together and I just cried and I got up from my knees and and went out and talked to Dennis and I told him, okay, I'll give you a second chance. Dennis asked me for a second chance in May. And it was one month later in June that he ended up coming to church on Father's Day 2018. It was a moment to remember. And he kept coming back. And he kept coming back. I asked him, do you want to dedicate your life to Jesus Christ and claim him as your personal Savior and have eternal salvation? He said, I do. So Dennis dedicated his life to Jesus Christ in December of 2018. It was a wonderful Christmas present. God is in the business of of resurrection. And what may appear dead to you, you might want to think about that again. Because once I surrendered my will to God, he did some glorious things.
2: That was a powerful story. Catherine, thank you for sharing that. You know, it's interesting because we, we listen to a story like that and, and we think, wow, that's interesting. But sometimes we think, well, that's them. <laughs> you know, that that's her, that's her story. And, you know, mine's not the same or mine's different or mine's worse or mine's not as bad or whatever. You can even hear Cody talking a few minutes ago and think, well, that's, you know, Jesus changes everything in a universal sense. But I want us to think differently today. I want us to think about what Easter really meant. You see, because I believe that Easter, Good Friday, cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection is really about each of us individually. It's not just about the whole world and, and kind of the, the macro narrative. It's, it's about you and I. It's about what we're going through today. It's about the dark nights of the soul we've had or the frustrations we were going to pull our hair out in the last few weeks. It's about that person who's laying there and I don't know, maybe my age or older and They've got the virus and the cough is starting to set in and the doctors are saying, well, just stay home. There's not really much we can do for you. And the fear begins to invade. Doesn't matter how much you fight it, it invades. And you begin to wonder, is this, is this something so far out of my control that nobody can help me? The doctors can't help and I'm watching the news. And whether it's fear that's invaded your soul or it's just frustration having the kids there 24 seven, you see the power of the resurrection The fact that Jesus changes everything means you. Right there where you are. I was thinking, how can I communicate this? And I I came up with a a kind of a scene. And there's a scene and it's after the resurrection. And Jesus has appeared a few times through his disciples. But they're they're out fishing. It's found in John chapter 21. And they're out fishing. And and they fished all night and they found nothing. And, And in this scene, we see this this kind of micro level understanding of what it means that Jesus changes everything, that the power of the resurrection can change even your life. And they come in and they haven't haven't caught anything all night and Jesus is there, but they're still kind of a far off and they can't really tell who he is. And he yells out to them, you guys catch anything? You guys got anything for me for breakfast, basically is what he's saying. And, And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And in this, in this picture, some amazing things happen. Some things that just tell us how much Jesus cares, not just about the macro narrative, but about your life and my life in the midst of what is a huge narrative in our world and we can't control any of it. And yet he can change everything about your narrative, about your life. Uh, so he says to them you catch a then they say no he says well throw your nets on the other side now this is this is funny because he did this once before when he first met him he says throw your nets to the other side and when they do they just catch a whole ton of fish matter of fact they counted them and then they realize who it is they realize it's jesus and peter does his usual thing he jumps out of the boat goes running in and leaves the work for the rest of the guys to bring the fish in and but in this scene, there is a powerful thing here. There is an intimacy. There is a restoration. There is a resurrection of hope, if you will, in this scene. So let me let me paint the picture. As they come in, Jesus has hot coals burning and he's, and he's got fish and bread already on them. So he's making breakfast. He's making a fish and toast breakfast. And now, I... I don't know if you've ever smelled fresh fish being cooked over open fire. I as a as a college student, I did an internship in southern Europe, and that was one of the things I would cook all the time. And the smell of that, the closest I can get is fish company. <laughs> you ever remember my fish company where they're cooking fresh fish over the, the those coals, those mesquite coals, and it's just something, oh, it smells good. He invites them to breakfast, but he's not inviting to just feed their bodies, He is inviting to feed their very souls because they've been through something really traumatic. They've lost their hope, they've lost their vision, they've lost their purpose because when he died on the cross, it all got stolen from them. But he's about to restore them to something even greater than they would known before. Some of us feel like some things have gotten stolen from us. Not just our time, not even just our jobs for some of us, and even for some of us, our future, our financial future Maybe for some of us, we're fearing that our very health has been stolen. Resurrection is a promise that nothing is ever taken from you that God doesn't know about. And that he doesn't have the power to restore and even do something beyond what was taken. So he calls them over. It's a relational thing. and He's calling them over to remind them, I still got you guys. I still got you maybe today you need a reminder that God still got you. Well, if you've committed your life to him, he's still got you. My grandpa lived in Hills of Missouri. And um, when I would go to visit him as a young adult in college, he was only a few hours away. And I'd go visit him. I would live in, uh, I would sleep in in what used to be the garage, but had been turned into kind of a I don't know, a little family room kind of thing. And and it was heated by a pot-bellied stove. Yeah, an actual wood-burning pot-bellied stove. So I would sleep next to that pot-bellied stove and hear it crackling all night and and have homemade quilts, you know, covering me up. In the morning, I would begin to hear him rustling around early at Old Dark Hundred, if you will. And I'd soon kind of catch a whiff of the bacon sizzling in the pan and the pancakes being made and, and before long, I hear these words, up and at em, up and at them. That was grandpa's way of making sure we're all going to get up and get an early start on the day. I remember thinking, no, oh, I just want to stay here. I want to stay under these blankets next to this fire with the smell of bacon and the warm relational atmosphere of being at my grandma and grandpa's house. The scene that Jesus was setting in John 21 is that scene. It's that warm relational scene. It is a scene of restoration, of affirmation, of love. Maybe for some of us who have been fighting the fear, more than the virus even, we've been fighting the fear. Maybe this Easter you can be restored to a relationship with God that you were always intended to have. A relationship of love relationship of warmth and of intimacy and friendship with God you see that's why he died on the cross so we could have that that's what he was restoring to the disciples in John chapter 21 for one of them they needed more than just breakfast together it was Peter if you remember Peter had said he'd never leave Jesus he would never forsake him and when everybody else failed he would not and yet he did three times he denied Christ and so we find in in John chapter 21 says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, but he I had to ask him a third time because he was going to fully restore him in relationship and something more. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, for Peter, he didn't just need to restore the relationship. He needed to do something more because at Easter, we're not just offered to restore relationship with God through what Christ did on the cross and, and the hope of an eternal relationship with God because of the resurrection but we are also offered the power of the resurrection which brings personal healing and it brings calling what he restored peter to is not just loving relationship that kind of seemed to have already been there he was restoring him to the calling that he had in his life you see you weren't created just to do whatever you want to do in this world you were created to know god You were created to impact the world for God with God's love and the hope and the healing that comes from God. You were created for that. And whether because of something done to you, something done by you, or all of the above, you may have lost sight of why you were created. Today, you could return to the family of God. If you've never believed in Jesus, or maybe you've wondered from your relationship with him, you could return to the family of God. Sit down at breakfast, if you will, this Easter with God and know that you are loved and that you are forgiven. And all you've got to do is just say, yes, I believe. There's an interesting thing in this story. The distance between failure was just the width of a boat. The distance between failure and success was if you would just listen to Jesus and drop your nets on the other side. The distance between where you are and being reconciled to God may be a simple yes, I believe. And I want you to be in charge of my life. You just heard about a husband in a story who said yes and it changed everything. Know about Jesus who said yes to the cross and it changed everything. Today, maybe you just need to say yes. This Easter, maybe you just need to say yes to Jesus and say, I believe that you died so I could be forgiven and reconciled to God, my creator, and you were resurrected so that that reconciliation would last forever. And if I will say yes, you will give me a purpose in this life that is beyond anything I could self-generate or even imagine. This Easter, I challenge you not to just make it through this crisis this world is going through, To do more than just survive, but to be reconciled, to be restored, to be, yes, resurrected to the original purpose you were created for. If we could just do that, I think everything we've been through and whatever is yet to come will be worth it. So today I say, happy Easter. I invite you to just right now in your heart, just say yes to Jesus. I believe in you. I trust you. Now be in charge of my life. Forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. Take me to be with you forever in heaven. And Lord, make sense of whatever it is that I'm facing right now. I trust you and I say yes. Best thing you can do is say yes. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for saying yes to us when we needed a savior. Thanks for saying yes to us when we were overwhelmed with our own sin and selfishness and the confusion of our own circumstances. You said yes and you came and you not only lived a perfect life, but you died so that we could be reconciled to God. And in your resurrection, we know that there is power for us to be resurrected, to be lifted up, to be something that we were created to be initially and somehow we turned our back or never got sight of it. But today by saying yes to you, the power of the resurrection can lift us up to something more than we could ever achieve on our own. Lord, help us to say yes to you this Easter season, and we will trust you with the outcomes. We will live in the hope of the promises you have made, and we will thrive because of the power of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.